This person wrote an entire essay on how to, you would speak heptapod. Seriously? Seriously. <laughs> wow. That's almost worse than this the people. This is before the movie even came out like in the upcoming film. Oh, based on Arrival. the short story. I wow. guess so. Wow. Guess so. That's worse thing, than Klingon. It, it's all about, <laughs> it's all like, based on the short story entitled Story of Your Life by Ted Chiang, does not boast with action-packed scenes full of explosions and fighting. Rather, at the heart of the story lies the alien language called heptopod A or B, depending on if you're using the spoken or written form, respectively, and how learning this new, quite literally alien language changes how Dr. Louise Banks perceives the world. I Do wouldn't you, really say the movie was full of action and explosion. You're saying not, it doesn't boast those things. Oh, got it. Okay. Which is not uh, really very good grammar, but... <laughs> um, it says to use the heptapod language, particularly the written English. form, is to know the consequential and seemingly inevitable end result of your thought before you write or say anything. <laughs> <laughs> I love... <laughs> Yeah, that's <laughs> okay. <laughs> I thought though, like I thought this movie is like somebody heard of that like this idea of a language that has no connection to time, temporality. Yeah. And decided like what if we told an alien story that's all about that? Like that was basically <laughs> yeah. how the story was born. Yeah, yeah. The moral of the story. The podcast where a writer, a philosopher, and a filmmaker explore the stories that make us and the morality that makes the story. I remember leaving the theater from Arrival being a little disappointed. Really? Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Um, and recently, like, I watched it again last night before we uh, wanted to record on this today, and um, it was actually surprised how much I liked it again. On the second mm-hmm. view. On the second view. Okay. I was surprised how much more I liked it. So, it, it, I don't know. It's interesting. Did you got, what was your well, okay, so, initial reaction? I mean, this was my first time watching it last night. I, it has been on my watch list for a long time, and I've just haven't gotten to it. Um, but unfortunately, I kind of knew the big twist, um, which I, oh. I don't really, yeah, I don't really know how I learned that. I don't mm-hmm. know if someone told me or they assumed I had seen it or something. Yeah. But I, I, I knew kind of what the big twist was, but still it was very impactful. Like I, I realized there was a moment in the movie where you're supposed to, where it's all supposed to click and right. it's still like that. It, I still had that moment. It was mm-hmm. like, wow, mm-hmm. you know, the gravity of what you're learning yeah. about the whole story mm-hmm. is kind of coming all in and it's still, it's still pretty weighty. Um, I'm surprised that you hadn't seen it till now because I mean, I it was nominated for all like, Eight Academy Awards or something. Really, best was picture, it nominated for that director? many? Wow, yeah, I stuff. didn't know. Yeah, yeah, I, I missed that. I, I, part of it, but. I honestly don't know why it's taken me this long either. I don't know if I saw it and it didn't seem interesting at the time, or mm-hmm. I can't remember. When, well, the how director, it, now? it was twenty sixteen. Okay, so it's not that. So it's like terribly Trump, old when yeah. Trump was elected. Yeah, yeah, pretty much the same time. It, ha- it has several like, political moments. Yeah, yeah for it sure. does. It, it has the kind of dig on uh, uh, conservative talk radio, right? right. For sure. <laughs> Which is kind of <laughs> that the guy is such an idiot, though. <laughs> it's like we need to make a show of force. <laughs> well, that's how Aliens they perceive them. Were... <laughs> gun, gun, shoot, shoot, boom, boom. <laughs> you grew up around those people. Luke oh, right man. Now. I thought, like, that guy in the movie is an idiot. That's like, no. Yeah, right. Yeah. No. But, uh, although, like, in real life, I feel like Nancy Pelosi would be, like, the first one to bomb the alien Well, <laughs> that was actually something I thought watching the movie was that this felt like a movie that would be written by an Obama administration guy. Like, yeah. he yeah. went to Harvard, he went to Yale, he studied language. Who's the hero? A professor at, yeah. an, exactly. <laughs> yeah, at an institution. <laughs> who just wants to understand the other, the ultimate other. The ultimate other. The alien. Right. Yeah, yeah I know. Th- this whole film has a big sort of, like, read it as an English major yeah. thing, you know. Where Definitely. <laughs> like now, Definitely. the thing that I think makes the film work, though, is mm-hmm. the fact that it, it does deal with its themes in a real smart fashion. Um, mm-hmm. Like, right. the, because it's based essentially on A theory of time and B theory of time, right? Which is a pretty fascinating arena of 
ideas. You know, Elaborate. A, a, a theory of time, for those of you who don't know, is it's like the arrow of time. So you have the past, the present, and the future. This is the way all of us normally think of time. Linear time. Yeah, linear time. Right. It's just we're moving into the future. Every moment falls into the past, and that's it's the arrow of time. B theory of time is more that everything happens all at once. That, in other words, the past is basically an illusion. And that the idea of the future is basically an illusion. It's just that um, our perspective on time is somehow conditioned to where we can't experience all the moments at once. And so, it, but if we really saw time the way it actually is, we would experience all moments at once. So it's, it's kind of like God time. It's like if right, God in eternity right. experiences time all at once. So this is B theory of time, but. Anyway, they, there, there's a big philosophical debate that, about whether that can be... In the well, film? the heptapods yeah. seem to uh, experience time in an almost simultaneous way, I would think, right? Like, I don't know. That's she, not really how I f- interpreted it. I interpreted it more as... There's, to me... Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no. I mean, I interpreted it more as she was able to perceive things, like perceive time. She was able to like see through it almost. That's mm-hmm. kind of how it seems yeah, to me. The only thing to me that I feel like... By the like, way, we're totally spoiling this movie. So once again... <laughs> hey, this is three years old. Yeah, this yeah. is three years old. <laughs> if you have not seen it, you should not be watching. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, to me, it, it there is a logical fallacy at the heart of this story. And this to me is the biggest place that he loses me. Is Which that is? at the end, right, she prevents the global cataclysm by calling the commander in China, Chiang, because she has these, like, basically a vision or she remembers the future. And it's a future in which he is meeting her to celebrate her achievement of translating Heptapod, the language, in a world where disaster was averted. Right. And in that future event, he tells her his personal number, which is how she called him to avert the disaster. So it's just this circle, right? Which yeah. is a I think, it's circular causality. Like To me, that almost in, felt like a break in continuity. It was, it's in to the, me a their big time problem. Continuity. I don't know. It's, yeah. It well, was like, and she to, was shocked to, by it in the future. Like she didn't remember having done it. Right. You know, which was just played up for drama. But it yeah, is a problem. It is well, a it is a verifiable well, and, problem. And here, well, and here's where you get into the deep water of the philosophical debate between A theory people and B theory people, right? Because A, a theory is probably by far the most dominant viewpoint on time. But B theory people would say, well, you know, causality and, and the palindrome of Hannah, right? Because mm-hmm. the, the daughter, um, you know... It, uh, Louise, Amy Adams' mm-hmm. character, she has this daughter, she names her Hannah, and she explains in the movie that Hannah is a palindrome, which means that it spells the same way forward and backward. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. And I think they were trying to show that causality in B-theory of time would be the same thing. So, mm-hmm. if you read it forwards, it seems like she's causing the future. But if you read it backwards, the future is causing the past okay I so so that that i think that was the intention now Mind there are <laughs> there are critiques that you could put forward, I would, like I would like her question you know <laughs> well and yeah well because here's the deal question that but that idea the b theory of time yeah mm-hmm. what they're really saying what they're saying in the film is that time as we perceive it is not a fact it's not a product of our nature it is a product of how we think because they have the whole thing like your the language you speak defines how your brain works right the wiring of your brain that is actually more of a leap to me than well no i think that is really true i think that's Uh actually a fascinating thing because it is it is i mean there are ways you can you can kind of prove that but at the same time if you change the way your brain thinks can you change your brain to the degree that you would see all time well, no, your whole I, life. I think, you know, you I mean, know. it's it's a big jump to say that, and because it's actually an ontological shift that she made, and that's actually what Villeneuve. Which I have to say, I think he's probably he. I, I'd have to think about it more. Maybe my favorite living director. Mm, yeah, hmm. as far as like really enjoying the creativity of his films. Yeah, mm-hmm. but 
in this, I think he is really trying to say, like the the symbolism of this film, mm-hmm. the scientific time thing is just sort of there to make it interesting. Mm-hmm. But right. he's really telling us a story about someone who is in a uh, personal dark place is visited by the numinous other. Mm-hmm. And that actually to me is the biggest achievement of this film is the feeling of awe. Yeah. And the numinous. Yeah. Yeah. As they approach the aliens. Explain the word numinous. For numinous our, uh, comes from the Latin, or actually Greek word for spirit, pneuma, or like pneumatic, P N E U M A. It's like pneumatic means air based. And so yeah. like the spirit or wind in Greek is pneuma. Yeah. And so the numinous, um, C.S. Lewis wrote a, a very interesting essay about this that if you, Ben, help me out, what's his analogy? Um, that if you say there's a tiger in the room, say you're in a house, somebody says yeah, there's a tiger a, in the room beside you. Yeah, that instills fear of a certain type, um, in that you're fearing for your personal or physical safety. But then if you say there's a ghost in the room, then that that, that triggers that, something different. Right, it's a different kind of fear. Right, and, and then it, there's a and then the third kind of fear is he says there's a god in the next room. And whatever that additional yeah. element mm-hmm. is, is what he calls the numinous. Right. And so, to me, this film is really Dillis Villeneuve using the sci-fi alien genre yeah. to tell a story about the divine visiting Earth right. to give revelatory knowledge to man. Which you, which you definitely get that sense. When like you, when she baptized, yeah. she's baptized in the, in yeah. the alien chamber. And then you yeah. see, cause like uh, that was really the first time where you see the full alien. Right. Like up until then you would just saw like their lower part. But when you right. see it for the first time and it's just like, and I, I remember they did a scale shot of her yeah. next uh-huh. to it. And it was uh-huh. just like, she was nothing. Tiny. Yeah. She was, well, and I thought that, and it's, and it's funny. I was, uh, my mom, uh, we were talking and, and she was like, that movie is so stupid. She like, didn't like it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's like, so you have to sort of embrace the, what the movie is. Like if you don't like sci-fi or, you know, alien stories yeah. or any of that kind of stuff, you're going to think it's stupid. But, um, but I actually thought, because you know, at first you think, oh, he's almost toying with the H.G. Wells alien genre thing. Because you think, oh, they're right. like octopus, yeah, it's things, the Lovecraft, you know, yeah, Lovecraft like demon, you know. But at the end, when you see the whole thing, it's it's actually is kind of a cool visual analogy of God. Because mm-hmm. what you realize is that what you've been seeing is essentially like their hand, right? Mm, yeah. You know that there's another. Like the sentient part of them, like their yeah. head, yeah. is far above you. You can't even see it, but you see right. the hand moving. Yeah, and it's like the and seven. The way it's actually working. The seven yeah. feet, the heptapod part of it is actually like their fingers. Hmm. Like, and in a way, yeah. like we'd be like a, a. Well, and they were writing with it. You know? Right. That's how yeah, they were yeah. They send yeah. their messages through their hand. Yeah, because uh, that part above the thing looks yeah. a lot like it a does. knuckle. It you does. know. Yeah. And that's um, what I. Anyway, to me, thought. there was a lot of visual. Right. Like signal being Villeneuve again with the visuals. Okay. I'll connect some dots for our listeners who may not have already done this. Uh, Dennis Villeneuve is the same director who directed um, Blade Runner 2049, Mm -hmm. which was one of our previous episodes. Mm -hmm. And I will say he nails visuals. The visuals are incredible. He just, he he understands it. And so like you just Mm -hmm. get that sense of, wow. Just that wow factor Mm -hmm. um, in his shots and in the- the scope of what he's communicating. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did want to pause right here. You mentioned H.G. Wells. Yes. Um, today's sponsor, audible.com, um, has a special offer for you. Mm-hmm. And if any of our listeners would like to get a free, that's right, free audiobook, you can visit the link in the show description. It's audibletrial.com forward slash moral of the story. Sign up get a free audiobook and it helps supports the show and um, we're going to recommend an HG Wells book today and it's called Time Machine since we're the talking time about, machine. the time machine the time machine the time machine <laughs> since we're talking about time um, everyone can go check that out it's a classic classic for a reason mm-hmm. um, so you can go check that out now, and other alien st- other alien stories mm-hmm. Uh, jumping off of you know H.G. Wells, right? Had like the uh, Children of Light who lived in the idyllic uh, land, and then he had like the green evil creatures. 
in the right. really cheesy. Yeah. Remember the really cheesy B <laughs> yeah, movie? The, Moor- yeah. the yeah. Morlocks or something. Yeah. Um, you know, and the but Eloy. Was, those were so dumb. <laughs> Which H.G. Wells? Okay, so this is like a deep dive nerd bit for uh, for our history buff. So H.G. Wells um, popularized the idea of aliens being like insect creatures. Right, the oh, whole really? insect thing. Okay, as a, like like they think uh, Alien the movie or any of that kind of stuff is purely from H.G. Wells's. I didn't realize writing. he kind of coined that. Like he he invented that. Um, he also was a Freemason and had a lot <laughs> okay, of other Alex, like. We're not going down stuff. this hole. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going. I'm not pursuing that. But but it's interesting to me because you know if you go back biblically, the main thing we are told about celestial beings is that they are beautiful yeah. and angelic. Yeah. No, terrifying And, and terrifying. Terrifying. About to add, yeah. Terrifying, yes. But this idea of like monsters in space that are right. coming to get us mm-hmm. um, in the dark abyss of the unknown is a very, very modern invention, really yeah. from H.G. Wells, um, who just at the very least, did not have anything resembling a Christian right. imagination. Right. Which you know? I think Actually, uh, C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis wrote his drags him over the coals. Or I think Tolkien with the elves. Those yes. are very much supposed to be an angelic mm-hmm. figure. And, yeah. you know, I think of Galadriel, you mm-hmm. know, she has times where she's terrifying and times mm-hmm. where she's beautiful. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, that's well, probably in, a more in, accurate representation. In, when when mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis did sci-fi, which was his space trilogy, right. um, which opens with Out of the Silent Planet, there's actually a whole send-up of H.G. Wells' insect approach because... Oh, really? The characters yeah. in that, there are the two bad guys I don't are these two that. scientists and then the the hero actually, like a rival, is an English professor of languages. Well, actually, Ransom, based on Tolkien. Ransom is based on Tolkien. Yeah, yeah. Based oh, on, really? It was a character built that, around actually. Tolkien. Yeah, yeah. I think I Because he's but, a philologist. Uh, right. And, but and they encounter his... the Martians, right? And mm-hmm. uh, and the Martians are kind of like furry creatures, but they're sentient yeah. and, they're, and, they're, and they're, you know, made in the Well, there are three different kinds of... Right. Well, the ones they encounter at ones. first. The Sorens. Well, oh, oh, the Sorens. Yeah, the Sorens are the more elevated ones. Yeah. But they, uh, but they encounter them, and, mm-hmm. and Weston, the bad guy, is like, these <laughs> damnable alien <laughs> freaks who are going <laughs> to purge them from the, you know, the globe. Um, so it's kind of the send up. Well, Which and, there's the moment. And the bad this. guy, his whole thing is like the preservation of the human race. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. You know, yeah. But in this movie, there's something similar where, you know, the bad guys are like gun toting, you know, chauvinists CIA. who right. want to yeah. blow up the aliens and don't understand them. So it's, so in that way, it kind of echoes, yeah. I guess, yeah. C.S. Lewis's well, I idea think, a little bit. I think moving on to what is probably the big moral question mm-hmm. of this movie. Which, at least for me, and I think maybe mm-hmm. for Ben as well, because we were kind of talking about this earlier today, um, is that, so again, if you haven't seen the movie, you should probably watch, but there's a big, basically a big twist that um, the scene that the movie started with, which was basically a montage of um, the main character's daughter growing up, but then learning that she has an incurable disease and basically her dying. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how the movie starts. Um, But then it's revealed later on in the film that it's actually in the future. Mm -hmm. So you're, you know, you think it's something that's already happened, but you actually find out that it's yet to happen. Um, And she basically has to make a choice that if she, you know, is she going to continue? Because she can basically decide at that point or the 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 decision is placed before her. Because mm-hmm. um, in the crux of the movie, she learns these aliens visit. She learns their language, which lets her right. perceive the future in which she right. has this daughter. Yeah, exactly. And I kind of saw it as like she was able to see through time. Yeah, she like she these... sees the potential right. of doing this because the man who could become her husband, she's right. single. You real you think she's divorced from the beginning. You're right. like he's she's single somehow. And that she's a already lost her daughter. Right. You think that has already happened. But it turns out in the end, and actually I had to explain that I was watching with my wife. She was new to it. And I didn't really catch this fully the first time I saw it because I had no idea going in. Right. Um, so it's good to watch it twice or we're explaining it for you now if you haven't, yeah. haven't caught it. But um, so the movie flashes and you don't know that she actually is just a single woman. Right. Who's a, got a professor job right. and has never had a family. Exactly. And that's what actually begins this whole right. 
And so she's basically given a choice or she's, she's a choice is placed before her is, um, is she going to continue on and have a child fully knowing that that child is then going to have an incurable disease and die? Mm-hmm. Or is she going to not do that? Um, and, and so save herself from the pain that mm-hmm. she would experience or has experienced, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so of that's, course, and there's the moment in the film, which is kind of the crux of the movie where she says, I choose, what if you chose to do what you foresaw? Basically, you right. chose the right. end that you foresaw, which I guess on a logical level kind of runs into your logical fallacy, Alex, which is mm-hmm. like, if you could see the future, you would probably see multiple different endings of what was possible mm-hmm. from, at right. least from an A theory of time, right? Mm-hmm. Now, from a B theory of time, you would only foresee what you actually would choose to do, mm-hmm. which I think is what the film hints at. It's that um, if you foresaw the future, the future would basically include your choice already. It would be baked into the cake. So what you foresaw would be, quote, destiny or fate. And that to me is actually the more intriguing question because we do have this sense of destiny, right? People all the time talk about like when they met their future spouse, when they held their child in their arms, mm-hmm. when, you know, at certain key moments of your life, right. there is a sense in which you feel like that kind of existed ahead of mm-hmm. your choice to meet that person or go to that party or mm-hmm. to, you know, all of that stuff. So I think that is actually where, you know, we go out of the science fiction of it into something that is more, more mysterious, yeah, right? right? Like for sure. somehow the future calls forth right. the present. Mm-hmm. Um, and in what way does it do that? And kind of the movie, I think, wants us to think of Luis's choice to, you know, have her child and go through the pain of seeing her die. You know, it, it is her destiny, basically. Right. And she does um, choose that. Right, and yeah. she does well, choose that. And but I, her husband, of course, leaves her because he says that he, which you know, for me is the biggest. Him. Like this is that's the only hole the in like, the. Yeah. That is the only hole that I honestly think was purely a. Um, in some ways, it was a technicality or a technical necessity in the film that actually didn't follow what I think dramatically was likely. Because he the would have understood. Because he needed the beginning to for her to look single. Because we would have known who the dad was, and that would have ruined his surprise. Yeah. In the beginning, oh, she needed point. to look like yeah. a single mother, because otherwise, it would have ruined the surprise of him being the father. Oh, that's a good her. point. I didn't realize. So that I until think, now. Yeah. I, in some ways, I think it was just him actually fixing having, a plot hole. Yeah. Yeah. Or making fixing it, a problem. Making it work. That's a good point. Which, yeah. in a way, I think it. That that's that makes a lot more sense. But in a way, I to me it it, it, it was raised, a hole. It, 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 it was a character a little hole. bit of a, a character, character hole, hole. More than a plot hole. It's not a plot hole, yeah. but it's a character hole because yeah. his character just he would there have was known. nothing in that character. nothing in yeah, him. Yeah, nothing in him. Yeah. But he would, he would have also her. he was very he would have understood. Yeah, like he would have totally. Well, and sorry. <laughs> no, yeah. Well, no, he would have totally understood yeah. even if he didn't have the ability himself. Right. He would have completely understood and knew what she was experiencing and wouldn't just leave her. Right. You know? Well, and the other question is, well, two questions. Well, first, this actually kind of, I'm going to jump because this is essentially my moral of the story uh-huh. this, around, yeah. and around this question. Because to me, the moral of the story of this movie of Arrival is that her choice, she, she basically said, I'm going to choose the beauty of the years with my daughter. Right. The beauty of love that will create her and all of that, in spite of the fact I know it's going to end tragically. Yeah. You know, um, which was, a, in a sense, a willingness to sacrifice for the beauty of life and of the family experience. Even though she knew it was fleeting. Even though she knew yeah. it was. And in a sense, I think the message of the film is that that is actually the choice of all of us. Mm-hmm. You know, we all... Because whether death is soon and tragic yeah, or exactly. it's eventually there. Right. And so really all of us are choosing to live the beauty of life. Right. The beauty of family, the beauty of love, in spite of the fact that we know death is at the end. Right. Mm-hmm. And that or and that you will lose. Loss is right. inevitable if you invest in love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and um, even deeper, you know, we think of the daughter primarily, but despite the character whole of, of the husband, 
choosing to love him, choosing right, to spend right. years with him, knowing that he will eventually leave you. Oh, right. That, I didn't even that, think that she, you know, she probably a, knew that. Well, that, she did, but although you think if she, know, if she knew that if I tell him in advance that our daughter's going to die someday, which is kind of a mean thing to just go out and tell somebody anyway. Right. She knows all this other stuff. Why did she just keep it to herself? If yeah. she knew when he heard it, he would leave. But it's one she of those could have things. Chosen, that, like, but again. then you get into like you get into weird time stuff because it's like if she she probably well it goes back to the phone thing like she probably told him because she knew that he wasn't there in the future. You know what I mean? I guess. I well, I, well you, can't, you can't dig too well, deep. Yeah, yeah, you can't it's dig not too super deep. stable. But yeah. uh, even though I think it's interesting because the short story um, that this movie is based on, which you opened with, mm-hmm. uh, you know, someone who had read that short story. Um, in the short story, the daughter does not die from cancer. She dies from like a car wreck or something. Mm, it's like okay. something that's preventable. Okay. And so Villeneuve actually kind of tames the oh, the irony a little the bit. Tragedy the, of the tragedy. Like she the had tension. absolutely no choice. She had absolutely no yeah. choice in the matter because mm. what really gets sticky with B theory of time stuff is just human culpability. Right. For actions and yeah. you know, can you prevent tragedies right. from? And that's place? where just our complete and utter inexperience with time mm-hmm. goes through like you know we can name off a million stories that are time related that just are full of like holes well you're just like but you just yes, don't know there is the best the it. best so the, ladies and gentlemen this are we about to tell our favorite uh time related <laughs> stories <laughs> my, i have one my favorite book of all that that deal with this question let's see if we have the same one is uh a book that we we would have recommended on audible but it does not exist in audiobook format um by the little known genius charles williams and charles williams was a dear friend of c.s lewis um good friend of J.R.R. tolkien for much of his life um and he wrote seven novels and he wrote many uh other works of nonfiction. but one of his novels uh, short novels are uh, is called Many Dimensions, and just I won't spoil the twist, but um, or the solution of the of the plot. But he the the book is set up that someone finds the Solomon's stone, and there's this legend of a stone of Solomon that was inscribed with the Tetragrammaton. Okay, and if you possessed this stone, you could travel through time, like time became liquid for you. Um, and so it's about what happens with the people that try to use this stone. But the thing that is... Sounds like such an awesome movie. <laughs> it would be, it yeah. would make an incredible movie. because the, the All the, of Charles Williams. Charles Williams' really, yeah, basic idea is that time, if, if we traveled through time, that it would be our spirit traveling. Mm. But yeah. we would eventually get stuck. Right. Because your spirit would be linked to your body mm-hmm. in a kind of an irreversible way. Yeah. Um, and anyway, yeah, so, it's a, so the, right. the guy who it's, first travels with the stone gets stuck in a time loop. Yeah. But he doesn't know yeah. he's stuck in a time yeah. loop. Yeah. And so the point is because he goes back, in, he goes back in time, but then his spirit keeps with his body, and his spirit is watching his body reenact what he did. Oh wow! Until he goes back in time again. That's trippy. And it's it's really yeah. it's really. I, so this is a complete rabbit trail, but I, I, I wanted to throw this out there. This can't be Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's not. It's not. <laughs> I think, and I've thought it, because this is just nerdy stuff that I think about, but like from, I've analyzed a lot of different time stories. And I think from like a scientific, as, as much as we know about time, mm-hmm. I think the one that makes logically the most sense actually is Prisoner of Azkaban with the oh, time term. Mm-hmm. Because basically everything that happens has to happen because it already happened in the past. Therefore, whatever is happening in the future is directly, like they're very, they're directly tied. Yeah. Like all the other- it, I haven't it basically, read that since the month that the last book came out. So remind yeah. me. So basically- she, she has an hourglass, right? And she, she spins has the it time and she turner. gets another hour now. Well- Is that what happens? No, basically she's able to, she's able to go back, but, but anything that happened in the present- Mm-hmm basically has to happen in the future because it already happened in the past. So mm-hmm. basically it's one timeline. Right. So like right. all the problem with a lot of different time stories is it basically right. assumes that you can break off into yeah, another causality timeline and, and like yeah. multiverse and stuff like right, that. Right. So like and which we obviously can't prove. So it's like it basically all takes place in one timeline. Mm-hmm. So anything mm-hmm. that happened in the future 
or anything that happens in the present present has to happen in the future because it already happened. Yeah. But anyway, my favorite time travel stories actually are the ones and are the ones that break all the rules. Yeah. Because I find them to be the most fun. Like right. uh, probably the one who breaks the most rules, the most egregiously and yet is so satisfying as a just pulpy B movie is frequency with Jim Caviezel. I have never um, seen that. It's, uh, I haven't watched that either. It's a uh, he's his dad played by Dennis Quaid dies when he's young mm-hmm. and he grows up and he's lonely and he has this like bad relationship with his mom and with his girlfriend and then one day he's sitting in front of his radio and he hears his dad on the radio frequency like 20 years prior. And he starts talking with his dad and their conversations, like he tells him everything that happens to him and then his dad survives and then there's like a serial killer. It's crazy. Like it's a really crazy (laughs) plot, (laughs) but it ends with like this really satisfying ending where, cause his dad isn't alive through like the whole movie and he's trying to have his dad survive all these things in the past that are trying to kill him. And then right at the end, He's about to be killed by like the serial killer who's an old man at this point, and he's hmm. trying to find him. And then Dennis Quaid like appears and shoots the serial killer because he finally survived. He oh. he finally survived the past. Wow. So it's actually a really great ending. Interesting, because because huh. it kind of it, it does the Back to the Future thing, right. which is you know what if you could redeem it? What right, if you right, could right, make right. it right? And to me, that's always been the most captivating thing about a time travel yeah. story. Yeah. Well, those are not actually stories about. But but like Star Trek, the new Star Trek, the reboot with Chris Pine, where like the planets coming undone. Oh, that the new Star Trek actually their their time travel is really interesting. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, that was. But to me, that that style of story, it's like throwing out the rule book, and it's just having fun with you have to rewriting. But that's just that's classic J.J. Abrams. You just make up one line of dialogue to whisk away any problem with your plot. Well, a movie that's coming out that I think deals with time is Tenet. Yeah, the new. Have Nolan to, yep. movie, so maybe That'll we'll have have something interesting there. Yeah. yeah, But but to close out with with Arrival, you know, close off our time travel loop here, um, Rabbit Trail. Till we get down stuck the in a time hole. loop, and um, <laughs> this episode goes on and on <laughs> yeah. and on. The, I'm reminded when I watch Arrival of the famous experiments with photons at the dawn of quantum mechanics, mm-hmm. right? Because um, and uh, Richard Feynman in his six easy pieces talks mm-hmm. about these photon gun experiments where yeah. you know um, f- photons and this is my layman's explanation so I'm sure it's erroneous to some extent but um, you know light is both a particle and a wave mm-hmm. and when a photon gun fires a single photon over a long period of time you know one two three four or it fires a whole bunch of photons all at once no matter how many photons it fires all at once, or how long it waits to fire a single photon one at a time, the same wave pattern will appear. Which, which is a, a little bit it, more Which detail. is a fascinating idea because if you have two slits, it's a double slit experiment. So if you right. shine a light yeah. through two slits, it right. creates like light, dark, light, dark, light, dark. And that's, they say, they think, the theory was that the waves or the particles go through the I, one, or, one or the other slit and they cancel each other out as a wave. And so they're cancellation points and hotspots. Right. But the thing they realize is that if you fire one photon and you might wait a day or a week or whatever and then you fo- another one, eventually that same pattern builds up. Right. And so how can one photon be canceling itself out? And and to me, right. that says, even though I don't necessarily believe in the B-theory of time, I do think that that experiment alone suggests something about time that is a little more mysterious than our perspective would suggest. Or does it suggest something about photons? Well, but photons, <laughs> presumably, you know, True. photons do not age, yeah. right? So, like, there is a speed of light, but a... a, a Photon particle is ageless. Are they obeying something, though? Mm. Well, it could be that they're obeying something. But, but my point being mm. that time, obviously, is superseded by whatever they're obeying. Right. And so the you constraints... Mean like God? 
<laughs> yeah, so the constraints. No, an alien power. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah sorry, my bad. <laughs> what are you talking about God? This idea of a God. <laughs> what is, uh, what is you this? Know, this, this? You know, no, it's it's an intelligent alien force. Right, <laughs> right. Our planet was seated with it. Remember yes. how Richard Dawkins yeah, said I'm so? Sorry. Remember that like he, maybe we were I just seated by forgot. ancient aliens. It almost sounded too crazy there for a second. So. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, but, sorry. But I think, I don't know, I'm just, I'm captivated by this idea of destiny that somehow the future, what if your future was what caused your past? What if what we will be is what makes us what we are? It's an interesting thought. Thomas Aquinas kind of dived into this a little bit. Hmm. It's very complicated, but it's yeah. like, if... At the end of all things, you know, if time is more like a loop and the beginning is mysterious and the end connects with the beginning, you have the tree of life at the dawn of time and you have the tree of life at the end of time and we're immortal at the end of time, we were immortal to begin with, but we close the loop, then it could be that we're just at the bottom of the circle. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. and maybe at the bottom of the circle, you don't really understand the beginning and the end, but when you get to the end. Right then suddenly it'll all feel a little bit like a rival. It'll right. feel like it was all just one thing, Which, not like a, a series of choices. You know, and when you start to think about it, and I am no way saying I believe in this, I don't, but it actually, and it's a big Jewish thought, but it, it actually makes a lot more sense when you start thinking about time that way and our souls as being immortal things. Um, the whole idea of reincarnation actually starts to make a little bit more sense. Like, I, I totally understand how they're arriving at that conclusion. It's like that... the circle It's, of... you know, time is, you know, a circle, it's a loop. Our, you know, our, we're, we're spirits which are immortal. Our bodies are not. And so when the body dies, it just, the spirit moves on. Do Jews well, really believe in reincarnation? Some do, yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, well... Which not, ones? Not, not... I the mystic ones. <laughs> they don't believe that they would be reincarnated into like an animal. Uh huh. So I think it's always another human. I guess. Yeah. Huh. I've never huh. heard that. Yeah. The, the thing that I have listened to partly, and it is a really beautiful argument, is um, Plato's argument for the immortality of the soul. Yeah. Um, and I'm blanking on. I think it's Phaedro. The dialogue mm-hmm. with Phaedro, but it's Socrates in prison. He's about to be executed, and they Pedro? come to him. Yeah. Pedro? No. (laughs) (laughs) Socrates and Pedro? That would be... uh, Just follow your heart, Pedro. That's what I do. The Napoleon Dynamite The Napoleon Dialogues. (laughs) Sorry, I'm sorry. It it is a beautiful argument. Phaedro. And you have to remember Plato is writing it as a Greek pagan. Like, he has no concept of Christianity or anything. Yeah. but Socrates just makes this whole argument about why his soul is immortal, and it's really a beautiful argument um, that everybody should read. Hmm. But but in that argument, he eventually you know ends up at at a kind of a reincarnation point, which again, like you're saying, it might suggest certain things might suggest that even though it's not true, like you know the there are elements. But the only reason we know it's not true is because of divine revelation. It's because. Mm-hmm. God came down on Mount Sinai, and then again, you know, in the person of Jesus Christ, and revealed yeah. that there is an actual end of history. Which right. to me, that was something we didn't which know. Which to yeah. me is is the thing that makes something like Arrival have some kind of uh, have some kind of moral weight or purpose. Because if if life was just cyclical suffering. You know, you uh, really the choice of Amy Adams wouldn't make much sense, right? It only mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense if there is an eternity that our souls are heading toward, right? Mm-hmm. That um, that would be a final end, you know, right. and that wouldn't just be nothingness like Eastern religions would say, but is actually a you know being caught up into God, right? You know, right. Um, well, and that's it's sort of like we were earlier I think off tape talking about Jordan Peterson. Um, his whole thing like life is pain you know like that's, that's yeah, like his, yeah. his mantra like basically oh, thank you <laughs> it is pain it just you know and and that basically responsibility is our duty to just sort of rise to our Very calling stoic. to endure yeah. the pain yeah. you know the pain of life which i mean 
I get it. There is so much well, pain it's not entirely in the world. Untrue. No, it is I true. Mean, it it is, is true yeah. for most people. Yeah. But his his viewpoint of that is essentially just a tragic pagan view mm-hmm. of like a Stoic philosopher saying, "We endure the pain of this life." For no end, right? Mm-hmm. You know, trying to bear up our social contract, you know, which, or something. I will which say, which is not the Christian to vision. The pagans a little bit, <laughs> even Plato. I mean, if you read like what Socrates well, Plato's says not in a Stoic, Phaedro, though. right? But it's it's beautiful, and he talks about joy. Like it, it's it's yeah. totally within the capacity Plato was a Pythagorean though of 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 yeah. humans to just by reason alone mm-hmm. reach a point of saying. There is something within me that is drawn to ultimate happiness and joy. Yeah. And that this exists outside the world because it can't be found here. Mm-hmm. And that's something that even someone like Plato, without Christ, yeah. you know, except Christ. <laughs> well, I, I guess you like, could say said, Christ was Even Plato him. knew that. <laughs> <laughs> no, my favorite thing Ben has said was have, to defend you know, the pagans a little bit. <laughs> Well, um, he did have that aspect of of the pagan world. I mean, that the pessimism you see in in certain I mean, it's not universal, right? You know, amongst them. Um, but and that but that tradition is why um, so you know when Christian missionaries first set out in the early church, they encountered these you know ready to hand tools from plato mm-hmm. and aristotle and these things and and it was one of the reasons why christianity flourished like it did so immediately which are not not directly but through if you look up your ancient josephus and ancient jewish history there are records of athens and some of the greek city states actually communicating with the high priest in jerusalem yeah and which suggests a knowledge of Mosaic law, even amongst Plato and yeah, yeah that was the Paul Socrates. Johnson's Paul yeah. Johnson, the which historian. His theory was that Plato was inspired by Moses. Yeah, mm. which would be very interesting. That's yeah. pretty pretty fascinating. But yeah, no, I think I think the moral of the story for Arrival is that um, is destiny, right? It just it, it's a sense of a destiny that sort of supersedes. Um, just human striving and choice. That choice is downstream from nature. Nature is upstream from just choices. Mm-hmm. And um, what do you mean? Well, that it has. Well, why do we choose the things that we do? We don't choose them ontologically, just as a raw decision. Right, because that would be to say that the will was the foundational element of a person. But the will is not the foundational element of a person. Actually, the mind and desire is, right? Like the, the nature of a person, what they desire is what they will choose. Right. And so, yeah. the, the, you know, why does Christ say, you know, you have the, the seed of the devil and the seed of God? Mm-hmm. It's because really on the deepest level— the good tree produces good fruit out of the goodness that God has poured into it. So the nature of the tree is what produces its fruit. The bad nature of a bad tree is what produces its bad fruit. So it's not just about kind of a raw existential choice. Yeah. You know, it's and we're all the same, and then one person just happens to choose the good, and one person just happens right. to choose the bad. It's that deep down, in some mysterious way, there is God begets the good choice. Well, and I, and, for me personally, and evil begets the evil choice, you know? And well, for me personally, that's, I mean, that's how I see, you know, when the scripture says, you know, let us make God in our, Im- or let us make man in our image. Mm-hmm. That, that, I, I interpret that as that's a big part of it, you know, mm-hmm. that those, that ability to make a decision that has weight behind it, that's mm-hmm. not just, thrown into the wind to say mm-hmm. whatever right it, it doesn't matter whatever you know right right like that ability to be able to make decisions that ultimately affect your soul mm-hmm. yeah like that that is such a that is something every single person takes for granted every single day mm-hmm. and it's you know that is for me personally when i read that that's such a big part of being a, a 
creation in the image of God mm-hmm. is being able to make those soul altering decisions. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's actually really practical because even though a lot of people take, like even what I just said, they can take any kind of a predestination way and predestination comes into it. But even on a really practical level, if you live your whole life saying, well, I've got to make the right choices, probably nine times out of 10, you're not going to do very well. But if you yeah. live your life saying, God, make me the sort of person who makes the right choices. Yeah. That's a lot more effective Mm -hmm. because then you're saying, why do I desire what I desire? Mm -hmm. And sort of living from your desires and trying to shift your desires to be good desires. Right. Rather than thinking that virtue is resisting desire. Right. Mm -hmm. And embracing like non-desire, which is what like Eastern, Eastern ideas of righteousness. It's all about embracing suffering, resisting desire. The Stoics, I mean, the same thing. And, you know, that way I think lies madness and unhappiness. You yeah. Know, mm-hmm. You have to, because we all, ulti- no one ultimately, everyone ultimately chooses what they believe is the best. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason. Yeah. You know. And also just totally overrun with animal passions. <laughs> no, but even then, they just, they think that that is the best possible outcome. Yeah. The true. person who takes the drug literally believes like like rationally they can believe that it yeah, will not what help you them. actually choose to they, do is what but you really imaginatively believe. in their yeah. heart they believe that that drug is the only thing worth living for mm-hmm. yeah and the only way they don't is if they come to realize in their heart not just rationally but in their heart that there's something better yeah mm-hmm. yeah um yeah wow. so yeah. okay no that's good yeah no, it's a very much the like vessels of wrath vessels of mercy kind of an idea is yeah. what you're saying, which which does get drawn into like a predestinarian kind of a viewpoint. Not predestinarian. That's a heresy. Predestination. <laughs> well well no, predestinarian I'm is what I'm saying. Yeah. Like yeah. it is taken by a lot of I mean like in a cat real hardcore Calvinist kind of a way, you know, to mean that like, well God chose God decided Hitler was a bad guy, you know, and he so therefore, you know, Esau is not responsible for making the choice that of giving up his birthright, and Hitler's not really responsible for the Holocaust. Well, Where, no, but I mean, but, they don't really admit that or say that, but that's essentially right. the logical outcome of of well, a real it, hardcore predestinarian thing. Yeah, yeah what you're yeah. saying is, oh, it's very well, difficult. What, what, you're well, saying what, that, what I'm, that what I'm God saying, well, makes if, us out of certain stuff, and our job is to well, what? no, it, think of it this way. <laughs> What's our job then? <laughs> Think of it this way: What if I don't disagree God, with you in an absolute God way, but makes, it's it's a but, tough. But God doesn't make He doesn't make Peter and say, "Will Peter be good Peter or bad Peter?" He doesn't make Judas and say, "Will I make good Judas or bad Judas?" He just makes Peter. Mm-hmm. He right. just makes Judas. He makes me. He makes you. Like he makes natures. Right, but that and, okay, but that and, begs the question: Did Judas have a better choice? Could Judas have been good Judas? I think so. But but I I think in a, in one sense yes, of course he could have. Mm-hmm. Like we have to say in one way that people have free will, mm-hmm. right? So there right. so that's true. But on a higher plane, if you saw it from eternity's perspective, um there is no good Judas. There never was. Right? It it he doesn't exist. Good Judas doesn't exist. But isn't that Just sort of Judas disproving exists. But the potential for good means see, that. But, see, God, see, hey, the this path is that's you know, unchosen. Hold on, though. Hold on, though. The path that's unchosen. We're rabbit trailing really bad. Hold on, hold on, though. Listen, think about it. The path that's unchosen doesn't exist. It just doesn't. Well, so to posit that, you know, but the potentiality for something different existed. Right, but but it doesn't matter in the final analysis. It's sort of like saying the photon could have gone. You know, the photon could have gone the other way. You know, right through the two slits. So a big story it for matter. me. It doesn't matter. It ends up at the same place. In the this is a story that I don't really hear used very often. To I personally don't really believe in predestination very much. But there, there. The, if you didn't, <laughs> didn't know. Like you put that, Luke. Like, I don't believe in it very much. I mean, I believe that we have calling, um, but I, I think it ultimately is our decision. The story of Esther. Mm-hmm. So. 
she goes to Mordecai. Mm-hmm. And what does he say? He says, you've been placed in the palace for such a time as this, but if you stay silent, mm. God will find someone else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's... Right. Because it's not taking away God's agency. Exactly. To say that you still have to choose. Right. That Because God will just circumvent you at the end of the day. Right. If it's something because he really wants God. done. Like, it's like, Paul, yeah. God was not really willing for Paul to not become a follower of Jesus. Right. You know what I mean? He's like, well, you know what? Uh, well, I'm going to strike you blind, <laughs> knock you off your donkey, yeah. and you're going to be sit that way unless you do these things. And yeah, there was a lot of so pressure like, on Paul. So uh, yeah. like, Paul did not have a, fr- I wouldn't call it a free choice. He had a choice, well, and but it was, a heavily, it was a heavily weighted choice. Moses <laughs> arguing with God about who, like, he's like, no, I'm not good with words, you know, yeah, and yeah, God yeah. basically, you know, I, I, I don't know if this is actually how it was, but- I think of the scene from Prince of Egypt where God like gets really forceful. No, he's like, who made man's mouth? (laughs) You know, it's like, yeah, do what I'm telling you to do. (laughs) Right. Right. So, and, and I would agree with what y'all are saying, but I think you also have to remember that when Paul writes his letters, he has an internal grace from God to know that it's the right thing to do. He has a desire to do the right thing to get to heaven. Where does that desire come from? Well, it comes from God. Right. You know, um, the desire that Moses had to lead the people ultimately and all those things. Does that desire come from external forces? Yeah, it does. I mean, most of the things that are inside of us come from external places, but the goodness in those external forces, that is from God. All good things are from God. There's no goodness without God. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you say, well, what did Judas lack that John had? You have to say, well, it's love, right? Judas just didn't love Jesus, mm-hmm. but John did. And, you know, Peter loved Jesus a little less than John. So, where does love come from? Well, love comes from God. How does God put love in us? Well, he loves us, you know? So, there's this, it is it is a deep mystery. Mm-hmm. It is a mystery. But, but yeah. You can't say, I think the thing that you have to recognize is we have to get away from this idea of wills in a vacuum making decisions, right? Without any reference to what's molding them and shaping them. Because the will is honestly a very weak, pathetic little thing. Like the actual willpower of every human being, very little, right? Like Navy SEALs, they have a lot of willpower, but the average person, mm-hmm. myself, you I know, can, when uh, I try to do I difficult things, that. I you know, try working when, out. I, when I try to work. do difficult things, my willpower is very little. In fact, most at most of our will decisions, our willpower. I consider my lack of working they, out a sign of my great willpower. <laughs> I obviously have a great will to not work out. Well, then I mean, maybe even, I've been looking at this all wrong. This way, think of it this way. Even when I give up something like for Lent or something, I try to find things that will replace it, right? I can't have coffee, so I'll have tea, right? right. It's like, yeah, yeah. so like the idea that our, that will is downstream from nature, I just think that that's just true. Mm-hmm. So it's not to say that people aren't able to, you know, choose good over evil or that we aren't all culpable for our decisions, but it's kind of understanding that the way freedom works is always about the object. It's always about desiring something or being drawn towards something. And the question is, are we being drawn toward the evil or toward the good? Um, and the mm-hmm. mystery of how that originates is, it, it's a mystery, you know? No, it's the, a deep and the thing mystery. That, and yeah. the thing you have to ask, because there are people in the world who wake up every day and they know that they want the wrong things. They yeah. know that they choose the wrong things. Where does that knowledge that they're choosing the wrong things comes come from? Where does it come from? That knowledge is from God. They have a sense that they should want something higher. Mm-hmm. And the only way that they will change is not through willpower, but by saying, God, make me the sort of person who truly believes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who truly believes that leaving this opium den will make me happier. Right. Right. Because until I truly believe that... I'm not going to leave. Right. Yeah. Right. And and that and Saint Augustine saying, miracle, "Lord, make me chaste, you know. but not yet." Right. That's that's, that's the yeah. classic. There is a miracle of conversion, you know. Right. That happens. No, that's so, true. Anyway. Well, then the deep thing is like, is psychology and the will the same thing? 
because a lot of that is sort of psychology. But that's yeah. for another, another day. Another, day. <laughs> another rabbit trail on Alex, another podcast. Well, the story for you. Uh, I kind of already gave mine. My okay. mine oh, right. is still thirty minutes ago. Luke that wasn't even my- listening. <laughs> Wait, I must have nodded off for that part. <laughs> no, my moral of the story is that choose life, yeah. even in the midst of great suffering, even yeah. in the midst of great pain. That that it's not that it's that it is still worth the suffering. Yeah. I, I, I thought of this as like, wow, this is a very pro-life story. <laughs> you know? I know, it really it is. is. Yeah. It is, and it that's, is. that kind of is the same for me. It's that, you know, there's still things that you can learn and you can celebrate with, you know, the gift that God is given through life, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, I I even thought back to, you know, even last week's episode with, there was that scene in Jojo Rabbit where, you know, she's talking to... um the girl and she says, you know, and she was, she was talking about the Nazis, but I, you know, I, I kind of took this out of the story and and was applying it to, you know, the devil. And basically the devil wants your demise. He wants Mm -hmm. death. Mm -hmm. Like that's, he's, he's trying to pervert everything. Yeah. Yeah. And so even if, even if he can get the demise of life through a completely quote unquote justified way, you know, mm-hmm. it, it would seem noble to say, oh, I don't want my daughter to suffer through mm-hmm. an incurable disease, so I'm not even going to have to do that. My mm-hmm. mom, okay, just side note. My How long parents, is a side note? <laughs> real short. Like, my parents knew somebody, I don't even remember who it was, but they said they chose to not have more children because, like, they wouldn't have their own bedroom. Oh, that's sad. Okay, like, but you think <laughs> you okay, shouldn't there tell are, people that I know, but <laughs> I know, but there are a lot of people that say like, oh, well, we're only going to have two because, um, you know, we only we can only afford that many to go to college. It's yeah. like, so are you? You're saying that it would be better to never live than to not get to go to college. <laughs> Whenever right. I hear that, paid I for think even like, without debt. Imagine or, that you're interviewing that future soul. It's like. <laughs> I'm sorry, John, but I don't think you should live because you're not going to have your own room. Yeah. You're not going to go to college. Yeah. Uh, no room to yourself. Life, no I college. Mean, your quality of life isn't even worth it. Exactly. <laughs> and he's like, you know? no, please, let me live. But yeah, I mean- Anyway, that's, so that's just, I just yeah. it blows my mind it though, is. that some people think that way. Absolutely. And and you know, it's you you wouldn't think about it in a way like that. that but I, you know, I think I've, I've got, I'm one of nine. Mm-hmm. And to think that, like you said, my parents would have stopped it me heck me like i'm yeah. the second so yeah. like to think that my youngest brother malachi could not have existed because mm-hmm. he wouldn't have his own room <laughs> <laughs> yeah what the heck i know it just feels really <laughs> you know just and that's yeah, it's a very you know misguided. and i know and i know life is hard you know life life is full of suffering and that's a result of mm-hmm. you know sin but that doesn't that doesn't mean that it's not still worth something. It's right. still worth everything. It is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, that, that was super, um, that was super powerful when she still chose to make that decision, knowing what the mm-hmm. outcome would be. Mm-hmm. And I have to ask myself, would I do the same? Yeah. Cause it's easy to look at the movie and be like, of course I would, but mm-hmm. you know, would you actually, you know, yeah. you're never probably, well, no, not probably. You will never be in the position to see the future unless God Gives you what a if vision. I get taken up into an alien spaceship? Luke? <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> it's highly unlikely. Hey, I have, yeah. you haven't watched Patient Seventeen. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> it's well, a conspiracy no, and, documentary. And, and, yeah. is trying to get you're me to watch. exactly right. <laughs> alien abductions. Yeah. Probably most of the worst experiences of our lives, you know, and and I've never gone through something like this personally, but I know people who have. Yeah. Where you have a child that's in the hospital, or you have yeah. some horrible tragedy that literally engulfs your life, it does, mm-hmm. and yeah. you don't even see the light at the end of the tunnel. And knowing that you would experience that, would you still go yeah. through it? Mm-hmm. I, I honestly really think that the reason we experience time the way we do, the reason we think a theory of time, the arrow of time, passes like it does, whether it's true or not, is because even if it wasn't true we would have to experience it this yeah. way because mm-hmm. there would be, be so able to little it. Yeah. we wouldn't be able to handle it it's true mm-hmm. like the the luis choice no very yeah. few people would completely agree yeah. yeah that's good well thank you all for listening this has been a rival go watch it it's a good movie i, yeah. I don't think uh, i mean we always tackle it's funny, a little there's this essay somebody wrote that's how can you speak heptapod 
<laughs> okay. Sorry, and, I was and, a, and, it was a little well, circular. Uh, circular. If you watch the movie, joke. it's not a verbal language. So, or no, was sorry. there a verbal? That's what version? I quoted at the beginning. Oh, okay. yeah. I was just making a circle make joke. A, it was oh. a circle joke. Oh yeah. Going gosh. back to the beginning. Sorry. At the end is the beginning. Alex, sorry. Yeah, I'm tired. Hey, that, <laughs> that, that that goes all the way back to Herodotus. Herodotus yeah. was the first to do the circular story oh, really? in written form, at least. Okay. 500 BC. Interesting. Wrote Greek yeah. histories. So anyway. Well, yeah. Make sure to also check out our um, link in the description for audibletrial.com. You can get mm-hmm. a free audiobook. Sign up. It helps support the show. You can check out The Time Machine by H.G. Wells. And, and then you can also check out its uh, rep- its uh, good twin. Which out is, of the Silent Planet. Silent oh, yes, yes. yes. C.S. Lewis, Lewis Space Trilogy. Like one of the all-time greats. I've never greats. read that book. But yeah, anyways. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, so uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, don't forget to share with your friends, family, and enemies. And aliens. And aliens. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Potential enemies or And friends. the aliens within your gates, yeah. as the Ten Commandments puts it. Oh, true, yes. <laughs> There's scripture about that. Uh, yes. But yeah, uh, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe on Apple Podcast and Spotify and Stitcher and cast box wherever you listen Mm -hmm. and until next time the moral of the story with alex wallover luke taylor and benjamin wallover please subscribe to the moral of the story on apple podcasts youtube or wherever you listen visit moral of the story podcast.com copyright 2020 moral of the story media